1: The Israel Report for the latest news
0: and insights with Antony Reich. Antony Reich, Bokatov, good morning. How are you?
1: Bokhatov, two little snippets of information. Uh, First of all, a terror attack took place yesterday um, on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And this attack involved a 14-year-old boy who tried to stab IDF soldiers at a checkpoint just outside of Jerusalem. And if we don't already know this, and I think that many of us do, but if we don't already know this, this is the clearest possible indication that terrorism is taught from a very, very early age through the schooling system, because there's no reason why any 14-year-old would want to stab an IDF soldier, unless he's been educated Mm. to believe Mm. that that's the thing to do. and and there are numerous interviews and surveys that have been done uh, particularly focused on UNRWA schools of course because UNRWA is all in the news right now and they're under some spotlight but not only unra schools just generally schools within the palestinian sector that show the extent to which the hatred is inbuilt from a very very early age from it's educated from almost the cradle uh, people believe grow up believing even at the age of 14 that it's okay to give up your life because that's in the end what happened with this young teenager who tried to stab IDF of soldiers he was simply shot right away as soon as the knife came out and the soldiers around understood what was happening so they go to undertake these kind of attacks knowing full well that they are highly unlikely to survive that, especially under the current circumstances where the rules of engagement are entirely different than they have been up until now. Uh, rules of engagement say that under any circumstances, if there's an immediate threat, that uh, live fire needs to be used. And that was certainly the case yesterday um, in this terror attack. So just another example to just reinforce how much the hatred hatred is built in and educated and until we can get rid of this in a generation or two and I'm not really quite sure anymore how um, this is supposed to be done but until we get rid of this hatred unfortunately there are very very few prospects for peace in this region. So that was just my first rant that yeah. I wanted to And have. in fact, and I was the watching second, it,
0: sorry, Anthony, I was just watching it yeah, on, carry on, on social media. And the way in which, of course, it was reported by those who are not fond of Israel was, Israel executes 14-year-old boy. And
1: uh, Well, that was almost uh, predictable, wasn't it? Right. Was.
0: but it's just so, so crazy how, how obvious it is.
1: Yeah. So that was the first rant. The second snippet of information, which was very interesting for me is the fact that the sister of Ismail Khaniya was treated in an Israeli hospital yesterday after she gave birth to a premature baby. Now, just to make it clear, she is married to an Israeli Bedouin. She lives in Tel Sheva she is an israeli citizen with a what they say a blue id card which means she is an israeli citizen and she a resident and she has a full entitlement to all of the services um, that israel provides um and um, for people who don't really know ismail Khania's background he is first of all one of nine children he has two brothers and he has eight sisters and three of his sisters are actually married to israeli bedouins and have israeli citizenship and they i think all of them live in tel sheba and he himself of course is considered to be one of the wealthiest palestinians his fortune is estimated to be in the billions of dollars uh, and of course as the head of Hamas's political bureau um, he has an enormous amount of influence and control and dare i say even uh, involvement blood on his hands in terms of the october the seventh massacre and the events that are taking place in Gaza right now. Um, And so, of course, the question arises as to why Israel should give any type of services to members of his family, given uh, the death and destruction that he has brought about by his own hands. But of course, when Israel has a citizen, no matter who they are, and no matter who their family members are, then they are entitled to treatment in hospitals and to the social services that all other Israeli citizens are entitled to without any discrimination. Uh, I'm sure that there are listeners out there who might have a slightly contrary view Mm. to this one. But this is the nature of the so-called apartheid regime of Israel. And that's how things work around here. And even if your brother is causing death and destruction and really uh, bringing... Uh, the very existence of the state of Israel into question, potentially trying to uh, um, destabilize the very existence of the state, it's okay for three of his sisters to, in the meantime, take advantage of all that the state has to offer
0: yeah it's 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 just uh, really really fascinating to see this the the conflict that is inherent in within Israeli society and within within Israel as uh, I guess tries to the country tries to hold itself to a high standard but at the same time it's absolutely not reciprocated which makes it so difficult defense minister of galant gave an update yesterday so what did he uh, what did he disclose
1: So it's all very interesting because um, we don't have regular updates coming from the political sphere in this form. Um, In the early days of the war, there was uh, uh, more frequent updates. Uh, At times, the prime minister himself was involved together with uh, Joao Gallant, who's the minister of defense. And there were times when a minister without portfolio, Benny Gantz, who's also a former chief of general staff, was involved in the briefings that were given to the general public. But these days, we don't get them very frequently, and many of us are reliant upon the um, formal briefings that come out of the IDF and, of course, other um, media that that we happen to read. And let's make no pretenses about the fact that this is a propaganda war of major proportions and that our government um, is giving us information that they want us to know and more importantly that they want the enemy to know because don't forget that we are receiving the same information as the enemy or perhaps the other way around the enemy is receiving receiving the same information mm, as mm. us and so to the extent that we are being told things potentially what we are being told is not really for our ears it's potentially for the ears of the enemy for them to take on and to take this into their considerations in terms of what they might do next. And this is a propaganda war, a proper propaganda war of major proportions. Um, And everything that we hear and that we read, we need to recall is highly sanitized and very, very carefully thought about before it's put out into the public domain. Having said that, um, uh, Joab Gallant did make a few interesting comments. The first of which was, the extent to which hamas has been beaten in the gaza strip and what he says is that 18 out of 24 battalions that hamas has in gaza have already been taken apart and more than that more specifically in the Khan Yunus area where there were four battalions of hamas terrorists who had been put together prior to october the 7th he claims now that three of those battalions have already been eliminated and that the fourth elimination is due in Mm -hmm. short order he he claims that it's on the verge of falling, in the words that he uses Um, so once again we're all kind of just trying to work out the extent to which this is information that they they really want us to know about or whether this is information that they're hoping the enemy ears will will get um, get to in order to understand um, what uh, we are intending and what we want them to know about um, from, um, our, from our perspective. He also speaks a lot about Ismail, uh, sorry, not Ismail Khania, he speaks about Yahya Sinwar. Mm, and he mm. claims that Sinwar is moving around as what he terms a fugitive terrorist, that he really has no links to the outside world because he's moving around uh, as much as he possibly can. In order to avoid capture and um, we know from other sources that he's probably surrounded by uh, uh hostages that's at least what we've been told previously um the message from you gallant was that sinwar is it's only a matter of time before sinwar will be captured and that he's on the run and that he's a fugitive and really giving him a very very low kind of public grading In terms of how he's being viewed by the israeli side um but i think that the capture of yahya sinwar is going to be a little more difficult than he wants us or others to think um in this particular instance um and i'm not sure to what extent we can honestly believe the fact that sinwar is probably within crosshair range that we probably know where we are i'm not really Quite mm. sure mm. how to interpret all of that, but it's certainly a fascinating uh, piece of information. And um, he um, also talks a little bit about the return of the hostages, uh, intelligence tracks that the IDF have recently found in order to track the hostages and to, to order to track uh, Sinwa's movements himself. Um, and he claims that the IDF can now move through Gaza quite quickly and almost without any resistance. And to be fair the video evidence and the photographic evidence that we've seen from gaza not only from israeli sources but indeed from palestinian sources as well really do support and the fact that the idea seems to have relatively free reign up and down gaza there is a lot of talk about what happens now in terms of what happens in north gaza to what extent the IDF will continue to keep control over north gaza to what extent uh, palestinian ref- uh, refugees citizens who formerly lived there before the war uh, will be allowed to return it is a pretty much a wasteland a lot has been destroyed a lot of infrastructure a lot of residential units there is very very little to return back to in terms of uh, inhabitable areas within gaza and, of course, that is the subject for a much greater discussion about what happens now, what happens on the day after, in terms of those citizens. They are not going to have places to live for the foreseeable future. So the the future status of Gaza is really a very, very difficult thing to try to, to envisage right now. But the message from Yoav Gallant yesterday is that there's really no place to hide, even not in Rafah, which we've already said the IDF hasn't really conquered yet, and there are a lot of refugees located in there. So in terms of civilian casualties, that is a potential disaster waiting for a place to happen if the IDF choose to get more active in the Rafah area, unless they're happy to allow those refugees to move to a different location. Um, All of that remains to be seen. Um, But I think a relatively interesting briefing from Garland One, which we haven't had for a while, and also just thinking about it in the context of the propaganda war and what the message is that he's trying to send out to Hamas when they listen to this.
0: Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because I, I saw those statements and the, the very first thing that I thought as well was this is such a clear message to him directly that uh, we're mm. hunting you down and we know you keep moving around, but we'll find you. Uh, so the, the, mm. there was no doubt that that messaging was, uh, was for him to, to humiliate him in, in a way and to create this, the, the impression that, he was, uh, yeah, that, that that he was running scared which is obviously yeah, m- I, th- yeah.
1: I agree because I think the concept of humiliation is a very, very important uh, tool that has been used by the IDF, whether it be showing those groups of Hamas terrorists all sitting on the floor um, without clothes on or with their hands tied behind their backs with one IDF soldier with a weapon guarding 20 or 30 or 40 of them, all of them looking pretty miserable if you know that is the form of humiliation. Which the Arab world is very sensitive to. And there have been those images published quite purposely in order to create the image of humiliation that Israel has really taken control of the situation. And this is what your best fighters look like now maybe then it was whatever it was then but right now the situation has changed quite dramatically and those pictures of humiliation and the signs Mm -hmm. and messages Mm -hmm. of humiliation are a really important psychological tool to use for the arab world
0: yep that's uh, no doubt about that what uh, if any are there is the update on the hostage deal
1: so again a lot of propaganda information and a lot of messages coming backwards and forwards Uh, The israeli press are more inclined to quote people writing in the wall street journal and other american publications than they are inclined to quote information that's coming out of our establishment out of our government out of uh, official sources within israel and it's interesting that um, we don't yet have a proper answer about whether the deal that was negotiated in paris last week is really going anywhere or not. It's actually not last week anymore. It's more than a week ago. And what we are led to believe is that the Israeli war cabinet has agreed the deal Um, without really knowing too much detail other than the fact that it seems to come in stages and each stage, uh, the, the length of each stage is not really well known. Some have quoted it as being six weeks for each stage. Others have quoted different periods of time that there will be a certain number of hostages released at each stage. There will be a certain ceasefire arrangement during that stage and that there will be a certain number of Palestinian prisoners according to some ratio that will be released at the same time. And that each stage will be on its own those are the the kind of uh, snippets of information that, the framework that we've become uh, that we've come to hear about and we've understood uh, from the reports unofficial reports that the Israeli War cabinet has agreed this um, and that it's gone to Hamas for their consideration and if we believe the Wall Street Journal um, which wrote I think the day before yesterday or late last week that that there is an internal disagreement within Hamas's ruling establishment about whether this deal is acceptable or not. We understand that, whereas Ismail Haniyeh, who, of course, is holed up in Qatar in a very comfortable place and not in Gaza at all, he apparently is holding out for a permanent ceasefire and saying he will not agree to any deal that doesn't involve a final and permanent ceasefire ongoing, without stages ongoing. Um, And apparently, uh, Sinwar and others who are in Gaza are hoping to agree the framework which includes these stages. So we are being led to believe that Hamas hasn't answered yet. Mm. And it's not Mm. because the answer is no, but it's because they have some internal disagreements about where to go from here. Um, And again, I'm not sure to what extent we can really believe that or not, but at least that's the public domain information that we are led to believe.
0: Anthony Reich, thank you as always. It is 8 o'clock. You can catch Anthony every morning at this time or at 7.45 for the Israel Report. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Hi, it's Barry Cohn from the Blue Agency. Israel is currently facing one of its biggest challenges ever. All of Klal Israel is praying for the safety of our soldiers and the return of the hostages. We hope and pray that our soldiers and security forces will prevail and that they will all return home speedily and triumphant. We hold the hands of our clients and friends who have children serving in Sahal, who are protecting Israel and Jews around the world. May Hashem protect us all.